Bibles, if you would, to the book of Matthew, chapter 5. We'll be looking at verse 27 in just a moment. I want to speak to you today on the subject of lust, lies, and the law. I want you to understand that God knows more about sex than you do. Uh, God is the creator, and because God is the creator, he has the right to set the boundaries around what he has made. God has set boundaries around sex. And it seems to me that the world has had a megaphone Shouting to all of us, saying, this is what sex is about. This is who can participate. This is when you can participate. And the church has been completely silent. Yet, we are the only ones who have the word of God from the creator about what sex should be about. Stand with me if you can uh, as we read the scriptures this morning. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 27. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. If thy right hand offend thee, cut it off, and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you, Lord, for this message, a very sensitive subject, dear Lord, that we have turned a deaf ear to and not proclaimed your perspective of this. We've allowed the world to dictate to us how we're supposed to think about the subject. We have formed our own imaginations, our own uh, policies concerning the subject that don't line up with God's word. Dear Lord, I pray to your Lord, you just help us to open our eyes to see what you have to say about this subject and help us, dear Lord, to protect our eyes, help us to protect our lives from the, the hurt uh, when we don't follow your rules. Thank you, Lord, for all that you do for us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Bible speaks to us very clearly, very plainly about the issues surrounding sex. I think it's interesting that when preacher teaches and preaches about homosexuals, there, there are all amens all over the building. And when the preacher preaches on adultery, there are fewer amens. Uh, but when he speaks on lust, you could hear a pin drop. I'm going to tell you why that's so. Uh, you, may, you may not be guilty of what you would call a gross, immoral, sexual sin. 
But God said, if you lust, you have committed adultery already in your hearts. We are doing the same thing that the Pharisees did in Jesus' day. The Pharisees would point to themselves with pride. They would boast. They had a sense of arrogance about them because they had never gone so far as to commit adultery. An impure and unclean people would do that, but not us. We're Pharisees, and with pride, they would boast of their outward conformity to the law. And life was great until Jesus came on the scene. And Jesus said, it's not just the physical act of adultery, it is the lust in the heart. Most people today think that man's problem is it is what is seen on the exterior. But Jesus tells us all through the Gospels, it's not just what we see on the outside. It also is a problem with the heart. We will see this more and more as we go through these verses. It's man's heart that is wicked. It's man's heart that is depraved. And that applies to everyone. It applies to every one of you. And it applies to me, and it applies to everyone around us. We have depraved hearts. Yes, it's true that we have been saved. Our sins have been forgiven. Jesus has paid the sin debt for our sins. But that doesn't mean that our sin nature has been abolished. We will have to deal with that sin nature until the day we die. Our spirit has been saved, but our flesh has not yet been saved. And we are constantly in a battle. Our spirit that is controlled by God, if you are saved, and the flesh that is influenced by the world. There's a battle raging in our lives. Satan has lied to you. This world has lied to you. Today I'm going to show you three lies that are implied in our text this morning. And here is the first lie that Satan wants us to believe when it comes to sexual issues. And that is, God's laws are outdated. Satan wants you to believe that there is no biblical authority concerning sexual issues. We have heard that it was said of them of old time. People like to emphasize that word old. And they say that worked back in Moses' time. But we are living in a different age. A, a different time. A, a different continent. And people are different. Times have changed. There's no doubt that times have changed. But you need to understand that the standards of the word of God have not changed. And they will not change. We use the word immutable in describing the Bible, and it means it is unchangeable. You can find some churches that will want to change what the Bible says, but listen, this is not one of them. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said. You have heard from them of old. Jesus refer is referring to the seventh commandment. That says, thou shalt not commit adultery. Amen. And you understand what that is. It was forbidden by God in the law of Moses. I want to 
explain to you that the fence around marriage and the sexual relationship is there for your protection. God is not trying to take fun out of life. God is not trying to restrict something that will help you. God is saying, here is a fence, and if you stay inside the fence, you will avoid pain and suffering. You see, the lie of the world is that we are free. We ought to be able to experience this sexual revolution. You'll have freedom. The only way you'll have freedom sexually is when you abide by what God's word says. Satan wants you to believe that you shouldn't allow such an ancient book to guide your life. What do you have in common with Moses? What do you have in common with the people that lived a long time ago? Here's the thing I want you to see. I love to read John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I, I believe every word of that verse. I, I believe every syllable of that verse. I believe it to the point that I have put my eternal destiny in that verse. Now let me ask you the question. Who am I to say that I'm, I'm going to take John 3.16, but I'm not going to take Matthew 20, uh, 5.27? What right do I have to say John 3.16 is relevant and, and Matthew 5.27, the seventh commandment, doesn't apply? Who gave us the right to pick and choose? What is an appropriate standard for today and what is not? If one verse is true, then they're all true. Satan would want you to believe uh, that that uh, that no uh, no one num the, the number one those laws are so old that they don't apply to anyone. That's what he would have you to be able to believe. Uh, I'm telling you that as long as God is still on the throne in heaven, they apply. Let me take this a little further. I believe that there are, is more Phariseeism in us than we would want to admit, especially on this issue. We want to feel a, a little proud of ourselves because we have never committed the physical act of adultery. Uh, we don't even know anybody of that lifestyle. We, we wouldn't be friends with anyone like that. And it produces this self-righteous arrogance. Jesus said in Matthew 5.20, Except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Then he gives us five examples. He, his first example is thou shalt not kill or do to do murder. And all those self-righteous Pharisees would say uh, so proudly, well, I've never committed no murder. Then Jesus said, but if you have hated in your heart, you're guilty of murder. And I've never committed adultery, but Jesus said if you have lust in your heart, you're guilty. You see, the point of everything Jesus is saying is that the scribes and the Pharisees were not good enough. And neither are we. We all need Jesus. That is the point of everything Jesus is saying. Line number one, this is, this is an old book. Those rules don't apply. Today, let me assure you today that they do apply. 
Lie number two is this. It doesn't hurt anything just to look. I, I mean, I'm looking, but I'm not touching. I'm not doing anything. I'm not, all I'm doing is looking. But Jesus said, but. Notice the contrast in, to the first statement. But I say unto you that, that whoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Let's unpack that and see what the Lord is saying here in this verse. But I say unto you. Not what some man is saying to you. Not what some Pharisees are saying. Not what some rabbi is saying. Uh, Jesus, the Son of God, said, I say to you. That if a man looked upon a woman to lust after her, he has committed adultery already in his heart. What does that mean? Notice the word. Look, the tense of the word means when a man continually looks on a woman. Jesus is not here condemning the glance. The, 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 the look when you see someone of the opposite sex who is handsome, who is beautiful. That's not what he's condemning here. He's not talking about the natural uh, attraction that occurs. What Jesus is condemning is the look with the intention of committing adultery with that person. Jesus is saying, if you are continually looking, it, it, it is the gawk. It, 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 it's not to see the attractive, attractiveness or the beauty and move on, but it's to see it and then to gawk. And then to continue to look. It is the look with the intention. If I would, I if I could, I would. The word lust is not always used in a bad sense. But here, it is a strong desire. And your eyes have awakened this desire. And it becomes a burning fire. It is one thing to look and see beauty or the handsomeness. Is another thing to look and continue to look with sinful thoughts. In the context of this verse, hath committed adultery with her already. This is past tense. This is past tense. So Jesus is saying, if a man looks on a woman continually, he has already, as a matter of fact, committed adultery in his heart. Jesus is saying, it is a matter of the heart that sexual perversions come. By the way, so that you don't get too comfortable, sex outside of marriage is wrong. Sex with the same sex is sin in the sight of God. Sex before marriage is wrong in the sight of God. God said all of that. Jesus said if you look you may say it doesn't matter where I look. It does matter where you look. I want to share with you some statistics concerning pornography in America. One in five mobile searches are for pornography. 24% of smartphone users admit to having pornographic material on their device. 69% of pay-per-view internet contact market 
pornography. The porn industry generates $13 billion each year in the United States. That's a billion with a B. 64% of Christian men, 15% of Christian women say they watch porn at least once a month. 64% men. Nine out of ten boys are exposed to pornography before the age of 18. In fact, the average age for the first exposure to pornography in males is 12 years old. 71% of the teenagers hide online, online content behavior from their parents. There's a good information on uh, covenanteyes.com if you'd like to protect your family and find out more information, you can go to that. Did you know that there is a generation of young men today who know nothing about the reverence, the beauty of what love inside of marriage and the sexual relationship with their husband and wife is intended to be by God? By the time that they are 12 years old, they've been exposed to pornographic images. I don't care how old you are, man. You look at the wrong thing long enough and your eyes will follow, your heart will follow your eyes. Jesus is emphasizing something here that we better learn. That is before the act, before the external, before the outward, before the physical, there is something that takes place in the heart of man and most often the eyes are the gates of the heart. Job said in Job 31 and 1, I have made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young woman? I'm praying today that the men and boys of this church, that God will keep their eyes and keep their hearts pure. We've got to protect the eyes of our children. You go to a bookstore and there is a huge selection raunchy so-called novice uh, romance novels. Let me tell you, there's nothing about romance involved in that. When you turn on the TV, all the advertising world makes you think stupid stuff like this. If you wear this cologne, the women will flock to you. If you wear these jeans, they are pushing what drives the entire human race. And that is a sexual passion and sexual desire. You better guard your heart, your eyes, and your ears. There are some books that you cannot read, movies that you cannot watch. There are some places that you cannot go. Because if you do, you will open yourself wide open to the most intense temptation that you can imagine. Satan would want you to believe that it won't hurt anything to look. But it does hurt in ways you don't even realize. The images that get burned into your brain will never leave you. There's a third lie that Satan tells you. The first is God's word is outdated. You can't get your moral code from the Bible today. Yes, you can. Lie number two is it doesn't hurt to look. Oh, yes, it does. The third lie is there are no consequences. You 
you may think that you can play the field. You can do whatever you want. You can be as loose as you want to be. You can be as immoral as you want to be, and there are no consequences. But really? What did God say about the consequences? Look what he said in verse 29. Let thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out, and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members shall perish, and not that the whole body shall be cast into hell. What's Jesus saying? He said in verse number 30, If thy right hand offend thee, cut it off. If it is the source of your stumbling, cut it off. This verse has been wrongly interpreted. Some have taken it literally. This is not to be taken literally. Jesus used a figure of speech here called the hyperbole. An exaggerated statement or claim not meant to be taken literally. What Jesus is saying, if we want to have real righteousness in our life, we have to take real measures to protect our hearts. What would you be willing to give up? What would you be willing to cut off? In order to live a holy and righteous life. Not just outward conforming to the law. But just to have a reputation of being a great Christian. But to have, uh, to have a kind of life that you know in your heart you have protected your life from lust. To be willing to give up a television show. To be willing to give up a book. But to be willing to give up friends who are eager to show you the latest images on their cell phone. What are you willing to give up in order to live a holy and righteous life in the sight of God? <coughs> Jesus said that you'd be better, it would be better if you pluck out your right eye. Of course, this is how I think it. If, if you pluck out your right eye, you're still going to have a problem with the left eye. You cut off the right hand, you're still going to have a problem with the left hand. Jesus is saying you must make, take radical measures. If you want to live a radical Christian life, radical righteousness will not happen until we are willing to get rid of some of the garbage in our lives. This is what's going to happen. Someone's going to come up to you at school or at work, and they're going to throw their cell phone in your face. Have you seen this? Radical righteousness that says, no, I haven't and I won't. For God, for the glory of God, I won't see it. The story is told of a woman who lived during the Civil War. She gave herself to prostitution. The story said that she was an intelligent and a beautiful girl in Cincinnati. She got involved with prostitution she became broken. Her body became diseased. She was laying dying in Cincinnati. And she cried about her life in the form of a poem written about snow. The last part of that poem goes like this. Fainting, freezing, dying alone. Too wicked for prayer. Too weak for a moan. To be heard in the streets of the crazy town, gone mad in the joy of the snow coming down. To lie and to die in my terrible woe, with a bed and a shroud 
in the beautiful snow. She didn't have any hope. That, that particular poem spread all across the United States. People wanted to read the sorrow and the pity of this particular woman in her life. Later on, someone picked up that verse and that poem and added another line, another, another person, another, another situation. He added another verse to that poem. And he, he wrote, he says, Helpless and frail as the trampled snow, Sinner, despair not, Christ stoopeth low. To rescue the soul that is lost in its sin and to raise it to life and enjoyment again. Groaning, bleeding, dying for thee, the crucified hung made a curse on a tree. His accents of mercy fall soft on thine ear. Is there mercy for me? Will he heed my prayer? O oh God, in the stream that for sinners doth flow, wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Listen, there's hope for the sinner. There's hope for, to be rescued us from a sinful life. Doesn't matter how far you've gone, doesn't matter what you've done, there's hope in Jesus to make your life white as snow. Except your righteousness will ex shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Today, I want you to know to trust in outward conformity to religion is to pave your road to hell. It's not about have you committed adultery or haven't committed adultery. It's not about have you been sexually immoral. The issue here is this. What will you do with Christ? Will you believe on him? Will you receive him? As Paul said to the Corinthians, who many of them had been homosexuals, had been adulterers, had been involved in idolatry. He said uh, everything you can imagine they were involved in. He said it in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 9 through 11. Know ye not that the unrighteousness shall not inherit the, the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And verse, verse number 11, notice this. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of God. That's good news. You could be washed. Doesn't matter the sins of your past. You could be washed by the blood of Christ. You may say, I, I can't make any promises. God's not looking for a promise. He's looking for your faith in Jesus. Amen. Would you come to him? David said, A broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. If there is sexual immorality in your life, if you're struggling with pornography, if you're struggling with sexual immorality in any form, I want to tell you that there is forgiveness with God. And the spirit that lives inside the spirit of the believer can set you free from the bondage of sin. You can, by the grace of God, live a life of holiness and godliness you can do that today. 
in just a moment we're going to have we're going to pray and we're going to sing an invitation song that'll be your time to come and believe on him to be saved you've never been saved won't you come today the lie of satan is that you've got plenty of time satan would tell you you don't have to do it today but the god that loves you says today is the day of salvation you can be saved right now if you put your faith in the Lord Jesus. Will you do that today? Would you receive the forgiveness of sins today and be his child today? You can be if you come right now. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. Dear Lord, it hasn't been easy for me this week as I prepared this message Dear Lord, I've struggled with this, what I should say, you know about it. Dear Lord, I just pray that you will just protect our, our, our people, protect their eyes, protect their actions. Put a wall of protection around us, dear Lord, that would keep us from straying off in areas that we don't belong. Help us, dear Lord, to know regardless of what we've done, that you can forgive. You're willing to forgive and make our make our, our life clean. Dear Lord, we're thankful for that. We're so thankful for that. Dear Lord, I pray that you, if there's anyone here today who's never been saved, that they can wash away their sins with the blood of your Son, Jesus, today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.